Happy 2021, all things Montessori community. We did it. I can't believe it, but we made it through. I can tell you one thing. When Jamie and I started this podcast, we did not know. I mean, none of us knew, but I can't believe we've had so many episodes, you know, talking about the pandemic and getting through it together. And I'm just so thankful for our community and for this podcast and for all the advice that we've gotten, the stories we've gotten to share. It has just been such a bright spot in 2020. And goodbye, 2020. Hello, 2021. Woohoo. So, I'm so excited about this week's episode. We had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with two amazing Montessori practitioners. They are married and one teaches upper elementary and one teaches lower elementary and they've been in the classroom for many years. They have abundant amounts of wisdom and just, it is such a fun conversation. It's pretty long. Um, And I'll let our little intro introduce who they are, but we're so excited about it. We just had such a lovely conversation and we cannot wait to have them back on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this amazing, long, and really, really valuable conversation. This episode, of course, is brought to you by Patreon. Thank you to all of our patrons for just being amazing. We love you. Uh, Your latest episode, bonus episode for December, was just dropped the other day, all about talking with children at the elementary level. It's more complicated than you think. Um, And by complicated, I mean it's not. You just have to be yourself. Um, But go ahead. If you want to become a patron like these amazing humans, you can go on to patreon.com and you can sign up. There's tiers that you can select. It's, It's an amazing thing. And we just, we really appreciate it because all of the funds that we get from Patreon Uh, they go into making this podcast a reality, right? Because, you know, podcasts, um, it takes a lot to make one work. So we're just so thankful for your support. So anyway, you can go over to Patreon if you want to become a patron. This episode is also brought to you by Sapling Supply. If you are in need of Montessori furniture of any sort, you can head on over to saplingsupply.net. It's linked at the bottom of this episode. They are just an absolutely wonderful company. We love them so much. I have a desk by them. I am in the process of ordering a shelf because I want one for, for I want one for my house because they are just so naturally beautiful, so well made, and. I just would highly recommend this product to anybody. So you can go over to their website and you can get 10% off anything site-wide by using our promo code ATM10. That's anything 10% off with our promo code ATM10. Hey, Jamie. I'm excited that we've got some guests on again today. I know. Me too. And we have two guests. We have two guests. (laughs) It's the first time we've done that. And uh, and we're really lucky that they've uh, taken a little bit of their winter break to share some time with us, uh, because we know this year of all years, winter break is so well deserved, but they're going to still talk about Montessori a bit with us uh, today. We've got uh, Julia and Hamed Isaza, and we're delighted to have them join. They work uh, in Lower L and Upper L at a, at a private school in Washington, D.C. Uh, and we're just really excited. I've had so many conversations with both of them over the years, but actually maybe not so many together about Montessori and how we do this work. And I think um, you're just going to love to hear 
uh, hear their perspectives and their wisdom. And and they're both really fun people, too. So I'm excited for this time <laughs> together. Thanks, Julia and Hamed, for joining us. Hi there. We didn't know when to chime in. so <laughs> That was perfect. <laughs> well, we this is our first podcast, so we're, we're down. And it's fun to get the behind-the-scenes experience as well as just getting it rolling. So we're thank you so much for including us in in this, you know, in your show. And we're just excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's fun. We, you know, of course, since we're both Montessori teachers, we end up having tons of uh, work conversations at home. And it's usually just the two of us. So I feel like we're mm-hmm. letting you guys into our little world <laughs> a little bit. So <laughs> we're happy to be here. Open the circle over. <laughs> and because it's um, because it's COVID, we are home still. And it, and we can't oh, see yes. you. So it still feels kind of weird. Like we're just talking at home again about Montessori. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sort of why we started this podcast, because I think all these Montessori conversations between practitioners are happening all the time. But we're not recording it, you know, like Jamie and I would be on the phone talking about this stuff, as I'm sure you guys talk about it all the time, too. And then, you know, why not let other people listen to it? Because we think it's interesting. And it turns out other people think it's interesting, too. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what we like to do first, whenever we have guests on, we love to hear what led them to Montessori and their Montessori story. So you guys can like flip a coin or whatever you want to do to decide who can go first, but we'd love to hear your Montessori story. Okay. I'll go first. We flipped. Awesome. And I picked heads and that's what it was. So, so yeah, I came into Montessori. Gosh, um, this is my seventh year in the classroom. Um, and before I started teaching, I had, Definitely no Montessori background. I remember like growing up driving, uh, carpooling to school, to middle school and high school, and we would always drive past a Montessori school. This is in Baltimore County, uh, Maryland. And I remember, Mm -hmm. I have no idea who planted this seed in my head, but we would drive past the Montessori school and it was called the Montessori school. And I was like, oh, that's one of those hippie schools. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, passing this school. I have no idea where I got that notion from, you know? Um, but I had, obviously, I had no idea um, what Montessori schools were until much later. And yeah, I did, I, you know, in college, I was an English major. I, you know, I think I most admired my high school English teacher. And I kind of envisioned myself, you know, being her one day. And uh, I was like, you know, it's the time in my life when I I don't know where I'm headed, but um, that could be the direction. And I didn't go that direction at all. For a few years after college, I worked um, in Annapolis, Maryland, and we it was this little family-run business that sold boats and managed uh, marinas in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh huh. And so I had like I had no experience with boats whatsoever. Grow up boating, didn't know. That was a whole other part of my life that I I never mastered. I'll tell you that. But she had him fooled, though. Wow, <laughs> love it. And uh, anyway, you know that that for me was not a lifelong goal. It was more just a cool opportunity that came my way after college, and I followed it for a little bit. But um, life kind of took me in a in a majorly different direction after four years in Annapolis. And I was kind of starting fresh. I was starting kind of from scratch again. And um, 
I, I, I kind of came back to that original idea of being a teacher. And so I, I looked at grad schools. I, you know, I was thinking of somewhere local. I'm from the Baltimore area. And uh, I, I do remember my mom handed me this like little uh, article and it had Maria Montessori in it. And I had never really heard of her. I just had heard of this school. And I just remember being like, oh, what an optimistic perspective this woman has on children, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I would be ever working with young children, um, although I had nannied and babysat and came from a really uh, a large, very large family. Um, so, I, you know, I was around kids all the time growing up. Um, but yeah, no, it was really fascinating. I ended up my first... Uh, footstep into a Montessori school was that school that I drove past every day growing up. And uh, I had called them. I was like, hi, I'm, I'm curious about Montessori and what you guys do. And they, they were like, well, how much time do you have? And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I'm looking for a job. I have all the time in the world. And they were like, well, why don't you come in for the whole day? And, and I was like, God, what could I possibly do? Like just sitting in a chair all day, you know, like, Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. my kind of my first uh, step into this world. And they had me come sit in their primary classroom, their elementary, lower and upper, and they had an adolescent program. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in those rooms, just being like completely captivated, totally confused. Uh, but also like, I, I'll never forget like the way that the primary teacher spoke to those little three-year-olds. I'll never forget mm-hmm. like, just being like, where are the desks and where is the blackboard? And da, 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 da. Where are all of the things that I was expecting to see and none of it was there. And uh, yeah, I, I was really fortunate in that moment because the, the upper elementary teacher at that school, who I don't keep in touch with at all, she just kind of put herself, she made herself available to me at the end of the day. And she said, you know, she's like, you know, our little school has an AMS training, you know, training in the summer that we offer, you know, on our campus. And she was like, but you know, there's a, uh, an AMI training center in like between Baltimore and DC. And I was like, what? You know, tell me more. And she was like, yeah, you can get an international diploma. You could teach anywhere in the world. And it just sounded very exciting. So, um, I, I Googled, you know, I Googled WMI, uh, ended up, I think, uh, my, the first person I met, I think was Jennifer Shields, um, mm-hmm. WMI. And I remember she, you know, she's just such a pro and super charming and super knowledgeable, obviously. And so, um, she basically was like, look, you've got a bachelor's degree, like just apply, you know, couldn't hurt to just apply. And I was in Cape Charles, Virginia, when I got an email that said I got accepted to WMI. And I literally was just like, I think I'm going to go for it. I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even really know if like elementary was the level for me at the time. I kind of had a hunch that it was. Um, But yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know, I really took a leap. But there were a lot of things that kind of put me in that position to take that leap. And I look back fondly on all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you were part of a sort of infamous um, class at WMI because I started there the next year and basically no potluck 
ever measured up to what your group did. Like you guys had a a potluck game. Like you guys are awesome at creating amazing spreads for for socials. I had nothing to do with that whatsoever. I was also (laughs) completely amazed at the creativity of that cohort. Like Oh yeah, I have to yeah, I have to give a major shout out to a few of my uh former uh trainees. Uh what do you, what do you call it when you're all trainees together? My my colleagues. My <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Trainees. I don't know. Hello trainees. Um no, we had like I mean, I had a classmate Travis who he made um organic beet color like he colored the the ice cream or the sorbet with beet juice so it was bright pink just like the pink tower and what? He had, oh my god he had <laughs> built a pink it, tower right built a pink tower out of sorbet and then <laughs> oh my god it, it didn't melt right away it was like beautifully you know the dimensions were perfect and he um invited slash um kind of made janet mcdonald pour hot fudge down the pink tower which oh my god! <laughs> and so, so you was, were like on a baking competition. It was like basically. a sacrilegious <laughs> event because we all watched. It. And then it only got like better and better. Like we um, we have a good friend to this day who we've actually lived with. I've lived with her for a number of years until recently. Um, she would. She's from Saint Petersburg, Russia. She would make her like incredible Russian borscht and like bring it in like a huge you know, huge crockpot or something. Anyway, I I think I was bringing like the Wegmans muffins or something. Right. <laughs> yes. I totally. Not, I was not in charge of the creativity, but I was completely amazed. And that actually the potluck game that our cohort had that year was just another little indication of how brilliant all of my classmates were. I'll never forget being like, I am in such a cool place right now because I, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, Everybody had a different background. There were people from all walks of life, like age-wise, you know, it was it was really phenomenal. Like I was carpooling with a friend in the training who was a trained vocalist and musician. I we got to know a friend who had like a former life as a biologist. It was very, very cool. So cool. Yeah. Cool. A lot of people, including myself, that didn't have traditional education backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was great. Amazing. Amazing. Well, how about you, Hamed? What's your Montessori story? Yeah. Um, so I think like a lot of people who uh, do this work, um, I ended up um, stumbling into Montessori. I didn't know it existed. didn't know what it was before I set foot in a Montessori school. Um, mm-hmm. What I can say is that I remember from a pretty young age, I think um, when I was a teenager, I realized that, um, you know, I, I didn't know what my life work would be. Um, but I knew that it would be something in, in, you know, being like in service of people. Like, I just didn't know how that was going to look. Um, and what I did know, um, or what I thought I knew when I was that age was that I didn't, um, um, I didn't want to teach because my mother had been a teacher in the Chicago public school system for a number of years and, um, had taught in some private schools prior to that. Um, and it was just really rough for her. You know, I knew, um, it was really hard work and it was, um, you know, not uh, a lot of people just, you know, take teachers for granted and, and the amount of work that they have to do and sacrifice that they do. You know, it didn't seem like something that I wanted to be a part of. So um, I didn't think that I would end up teaching. Um, and, you know, I went to I went to college and uh, I got a liberal arts degree and I ended up um, 
meeting a, a bartender out of college who was um, a social worker. And she offered me, um, like, basically got my foot in the door in this um, youth services agency. So I started working with youth um, as a social worker. And I did that for several years. I did that for about four years um, in Chicago. And while I was there, while I was working, um, I met a guy who has been a, a lifelong friend now um, who worked in the program with me. And he ended up quitting and moving on. And where he moved on to was a Montessori school in Chicago. And he worked there for a couple of years. And um, all the time we were in touch. And, and one day he knew I was kind of at the end of my social work um, rope because it, it's really difficult work. And um, I was looking for something new. So he said, you know what? You should come check out the school I work at. I think that um, you'd like it. And I think they would like you. So, um, you know, if you want to come check it out and do a walkthrough of the school, they did like these prospective teacher coffees. There was about a group of 30 prospective um, employees. And they just walked us through the school. I'd never been to a Montessori school. And it was a pretty big school. There was almost 600 students in that school. And it's like about five stories. So there's you know, a lot of stairwells, a lot of hallways, a lot of classrooms. Um, it's a really vibrant place. And I just remember from the moment I walked in and I started looking around the, the, the hallways and watching these little people unsupervised, just walking all over the building, laying, <laughs> you know, laying on the, um, on the stairwells, like doing work. And just, um, I was kind of shocked. <laughs> I was just like, who's watching all these kids? Like, <laughs> and how are they not acting? totally out of control right now. Um, but, you know, as I walked through the classrooms and and saw what everything was doing, I just was kind of in awe. Um, and at the end of our coffee, they brought us into a room with um, the seventh and eighth grade, not all the seventh and eighth graders, but a panel of about six seventh and eighth graders. Um, and, and just to give you a little perspective, I had been working with um, kids who were between the ages of 15 and 21 for about the past four years, um, even when I was at this coffee. And I just remember then listening to these, you know, seventh and eighth graders talk about their experience at this school. And many of them had been in the school since they were toddlers or three-year-olds. Um, and they were just so in love with um, their learning environment and their experience. And, and above that, beyond that, they were just so comfortable in their own skin um, and, to speak in front of, you know, a group of adults like that so easily. Um, mm -hmm. And I just was amazed at, at that. And I thought, you know what, I don't really know what's going on here, but it seems to be going really well. And I'd like to learn more about it. So um, that from there, that's when I, uh, I took a, um, I was offered a job as an assistant um, in the nine to 12 classroom. And I started working there. I worked um, as an assistant for four years um, in that classroom with a woman who's now been teaching, gosh, 25 or 30 years. And she's, maybe the best teacher I've been around. Um, and hmm. he kind of uh, introduced me. And what, what I noticed was that she trusted the children like so much. It was, it was amazing. I'd never seen anything like that. Um, and she had a beautiful classroom with like a lot of very happy and productive children. And, um, and she, you know, seemingly was just like always saying yes to them. <laughs> and, uh, no boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, to the untrained eye, that's what I saw, you know. <laughs> what I realized was that she was definitely one of those teachers when she didn't like what she, you know, observed happening in her classroom, she would just start throwing, you know, tons and tons of lessons out there and it would usually take care of whatever she wasn't liking before. So um, that was kind of cool. But yeah, that's how I got there. And now I've I taught at that school for a few years. Um, I met Jules and moved out east and um, I've been working in D.C. for about five years now. So.
that's my that's my my story. Wow. And Montessori like brought you guys together, right? I mean, it was not only did you find a career you love, but then you can you tell us a little bit? Do you feel like talking about your you found story? story? Tell us your story. You found the angle, <laughs> Jamie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to we're happy to share a little a little bit. We'll give you guys a little bit. Um, so yeah, so I finished my WMI training and I think it's probably abundantly clear um, from the short story that I shared, but I had no background or, or teaching experience. So I was really kind of like taking all of this beautiful kind of utopian <laughs> child development information to heart. And I was, you know, so excited to get started um, for my very first year in the classroom. Um, but that summer before starting my first classroom, I, I, uh, took the master's that was offered at Loyola uh, University in Baltimore. And that is quite close to where I grew up. So I was um, at the time fortunate to be able to live. Uh, my parents, you know, took me in for that year of that WMI and Loyola training. And I'm very grateful for that. But Hamed, he had done uh, the training in Milwaukee um, with Alan Travis and he had done the summer training. So we did not know each other for years. He also had all of that background experience working in the schools for years while he was training. So a very mm -hmm. different kind of, um, introduction than I had. And, uh, and, but he had to take the uh, masters at Loyola as well. So we met on the first day of that particular summer of, of that training. And yeah, let's just, uh, without getting too deep into it, because it's a pretty, <laughs> we can talk about it and we have a good time talking about it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Our, my first introduction was uh, like Hamed. We were we were sitting next to each other at our at our very first class, and oh wow, and then our professor so invited us. And oh yeah, we were sitting in the front row, which I never tend to like to do on the first day. I like to sit, you know quietly in the back and get my bearings and like look at everybody else and like figure out like what I'm comfortable mm -hmm. with, you know? But I remember, <laughs> I remember Hamed walked right on in, sat right in the front and I was like, oh wow, he's, you know, he looks confident, you know, he looks like he, <laughs> it's like, feels good in his skin, you know? <laughs> and uh, our professor, it was a, it was a three hour class. It was like the whole morning. So he um, was kind enough to kind of notice that, you know, sitting for three hours isn't fun for anyone. And he invited everybody to take like a 15 minute coffee break. And he said, you know, when you come back, um, have a conversation with somebody and we're going to do introductions when we come back. So if you can introduce, you know, this new person that you've met and share. He kind of tried to guide it, like share you know, one thing and That's their cool. name, where they're from. And mm -hmm. So... Let's just say the story that um, Hamed decided to share about me was um, full of lies. And I knew a lot of people in the class because we had all just, just finished training at WMI. I made oh the like, big mistake of not sitting with them for emotional support that day. And I just remember being like, oh my God, they're looking, they're probably like this guy. Lying about Julia, you know, <laughs> this is not cool. But um, what ended up happening was like everybody got a big laugh out of it, and I turned to Jen, oh my you know, God. in class and was like really embarrassed. So, you know, whatever, 
What ended up happening after that was I tried to, I, I didn't sit near Hamed the next day. I sat very far away from him. I oh my God. Oh my God. And like recompose myself and get, you know, get a lot of distance and perspective. But we, <laughs> but what ended up happening was um, I just was kind of ultimately charmed and was like, oh, well, this was kind of fun. So maybe it, Maybe I'll invite him to sit with me and my friends at lunch, you know, or like, let's see where this goes. And, you know, we never look back. That's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. That's we, amazing. You know, we I lived in different cities. So, and that course was like five weeks right. or something. So at the end of that course, um, I guess the part that I intended to tell you today was not all of that, but um, was just that, uh, I had gotten this job in Northern Virginia, my the first Montessori school where I worked, um, and I was just coming on board with them, and they were going to send me to um, MTIPS, which was a, like a teacher's professional development. Um, there's a school up in Northbrook, Illinois. I mm-hmm. again, I like had no you know introduction to Montessori, but my school was going to send me to a couple trainings that summer, and it was like summer of mm-hmm. like just nonstop Montessori, like getting a master's, going to a workshop, like setting up a classroom. It was just, it did, it was like a list to do yeah. list before I even became a teacher ultimately. So, um, I remember being like, Ahmed, like you live in Chicago and actually this is crazy, but in a couple of weeks, I'm actually for the very first time ever going to Chicago for this, this, uh, workshop. So that was another like really kind of cool, like the fates were conspiring or something because it mm-hmm. was like, you know, this course is ending. We're going back to our lives. But hey, guess what? I'm coming to Chicago in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That's I also awesome. just think I have to say that these so-called lies that I told about Jules <laughs> were more like flattering embellishments. <laughs> uh, in, That's even better. To, uh, intended to... Um, I think bring the community of masters oh. um, students closer together <laughs> through humor. So, yeah, so you were doing a service <laughs> to everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was sacrificed if, if to the this first larger of, cause. The first day of class is always about bonding, so I just thought, you know, what a better way to do that than to get this professor laughing and loving us all. So. <laughs> But I was so happy to do it. So uh, that is that is amazing. Oh, well, I want to touch on um, something that I know you guys are probably sick of thinking about and talking about. However, I think it's just important with the year that we've had. I just want to hear a little bit about your experience in the virtual teaching sphere, and then going back into the classroom. Um, and we can talk about it for as short as you want. I just wanted to. You know, sure. see how it's been yeah. for you guys. I mean, well, I'm sure that everyone is experiencing it right now, whether they teach Montessori or not, and whether they work in Montessori mm-hmm. or not, a lot of people are right. doing that. So um, I think it's something that everybody can relate to. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, it's been, you know, the whole thing, like transitioning to online teaching from the start was a very overwhelming and daunting task <laughs> um, yeah. that I was looking at. And Particularly for me, I thought it was harder than it would be for a lot of folks because I'm not very tech savvy. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't even like, we didn't own a computer in my home growing up, and I never owned a computer until I was 
all the way out of school and was able to purchase one. <laughs> and so like, yeah. I, you know, I was like typing papers in high school because I couldn't get it, get to the computer lab. So I'd like go home and type papers while everyone else is using the computer. Um, so like, I just missed that sensitive period for lots of basic computer skills, you know, when everyone was having like AOL in the nineties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I feel like I just missed that. And then, you know, going into Montessori, I was like, oh, this is great. It's like one of the few fields where uh, my lack of tech skills isn't going to hamper me. <laughs> you know, they're not going to hamper me. Right. And then all of a sudden, get thrown into this uh, virtual learning space. Um, and mm -hmm. I definitely was panicking. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so it, it just the catching up on all those skills um, and still, you know, feeling like I'm not caught up is, is hard. But, um, you know, so the learning curve was steep, I think. Um, so transitioning has, has been hard. And, and for me, I teach the six to niners and I, I had, you know, at the beginning of this year, I just thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to do it like in the spring. In the spring, we just kind of, you know, we just kind of hung on for dear life and, you know, tried to make it to the end of the right. year. And, and most people did. But um, when the spring came around and we were going to actually start teaching live and everything, I, I thought to myself, the only thing I know how to do is to give these Montessori lessons. So, you know, I, I tried to incorporate as much of the Montessori materials as I could throughout the, all of this teaching. And I've been able to do it, I think, relatively successfully. Um, but the thing that happens is that it takes a long time to ad adapt those lessons, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. put them on screen. Um, so that has just taken an inordinate amount of time. Um, so that was, that was pretty tough. Um, but Jules, I think um, maybe you can talk about your, your time with the online <laughs> teaching. Although we did have like that summer, we did have a nice, um, our school um, put together like a little committee of folks who were going to kind of craft the distance learning program um, for this year. And it went well. And I think we, we were able to like create a nice program that worked for, you know, I think about as well as, you know, we had hoped it would mm -hmm. for the first couple months of school. So that was nice. Yeah. And you're in lower elementary, right? Yeah. And I'm in lower L and she's in upper L. That's so right. Like a little easier for her kids, I think, to do things online. Than yeah, that's, yeah, totally. A six-year-old and a nine-year-old, that's a big difference when it comes oh, to yeah. the computer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got like, you know, nine, 10 and 11-year-olds who are inviting me to their like independent Zoom meetings. I'm totally. like, how did you, how did you figure that out? <laughs> or, or when I'm on Zoom and they'll be like, Mrs. Aza, you know. Like, yeah. Did you know you can make a virtual background? I'm like, well, I've heard about those things, but I, I don't know how to do it. And they're like, let me show you. Let me, you know, you know. Oh, yeah. Ready to totally. On everything to me, you know, which is mm -hmm. adorable and humbling. And also just goes to show like how um, they've been able to adapt and, and also like be resilient through this time. I know there's, there's, it's so, it's so messy and complicated, this topic, of course, but um, I have noticed like the children, they're always learning, like where, you know, they're for better or worse, you know, whether we want them to be tech savvy or not, like they're, <laughs> they're going to do it. So, um, yeah, my experience, you know, Hamed and I, obviously this is our first, well, I don't know if it's obvious yet. Have we talked about this? We've, we both are working at the same school for the first time ever this year. Mm -hmm. and, and as we said, at different levels, um, and so we, we were fortunate to have an opportunity this summer to do a lot of that planning because um, last spring, you know, what, whatever the day was, March 12th or 13th, like that infamous day when everything shut down. Yeah. Um, you know, that was like a really, <laughs> that was just a crazy transition to 
okay, it's a crisis. It's a pandemic. We're trying to support these children and these families and also like keep ourselves healthy and safe and well, you know, it was really overwhelming. So this summer, you know, transitioning from, you know, that kind of crisis scenario of the spring to, all right, we're going to be online in the fall. Like, let's be thoughtful about, you know, how we're delivering content and how we're connecting with our community online this time. Um, I do have to say, like, I just immediately reached out to some, you know, mentor type teachers in the area who had already been teaching online. And I felt really heartened by, you know, some of the advice that I got. And, and we had, you know, five or six weeks over the summer to kind of craft something that we thought would be, you know, as Hamed said, like the best case scenario for online mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah. And so we and, rolled that out. And sustainable. And sustainable, like we weren't going to totally burn out. Exactly. Like, it's a lot, you know, but I don't know. It, it's just, it's a lot. But um, there was, yeah, I would say like there was a huge difference in what our school was offering last spring compared to this fall. And then we also um, transitioned to hybrid learning. So we did five weeks of hybrid learning and, uh, you know, on the tail of, you know, a couple of months of online learning. So it's just been, I think, a time of a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I was really holding on to my newfound, like, virtual routines with the kids. (laughs) Yeah. So I was pretty resistant to adapting and changing everything again, you know, Mm -hmm. to go into a hybrid model. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I will say working with the children in upper elementary online has, there's been a lot of successes. There's been a lot of things that we, you know, maybe couldn't predict or, or just because it's so new, didn't foresee, um, you know, with just how much time they're on the computer and navigating the computer and oftentimes yeah. like very independently. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, little issues, you know, have come up with, with that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're, we hold our, pedagogy and our kind of philosophy about education, you know, so close to heart. And then there was definitely a time where I personally felt like I had to really let a lot of things go and be Mm -hmm. like, all right, it's a brave new world. Like we can still talk, you know, the way we communicate and collaborate with the children in the same way. We, we can hold on to some of our like core principles and values, but there's a lot of the kind of practical stuff that's going to be like, all right, we're making slideshows and we're typing reports and yeah, we're, you know, absolutely format. And it's, it's yeah. kind of just like, right. You know, you know, don't, I, I guess, what's that saying? I I'm trying to think of, it's like, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's like, mm-hmm. right. Just like do the best you can and lower your expectations a little bit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, that's turn off that self-talk, right? Like that self-talk of like, this is insufficient. Um, yeah. This isn't how we do it. Um, so just to be really, really generous with yourself about um, any compromises that you are making at the moment that you wouldn't typically make. So. Which is yeah. like a minute by minute thing for me anyway, like mm-hmm. that, that like turning off the self-talk thing is not just like me waking up in the morning being like, okay, Julia, turn off the self-talk. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like all day long, you know, you have to kind of be aware of what's going on in your head. And then like, you know, it's a, it's kind of a constant battle. It's hard. It's, it has made for a very exhausting experience. Like 
Hamed can attest because we live together, but you know, like my bedtime is now, you know, 8.30 instead of 10.30. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we're yeah. just totally spent by the end of the day. You know, it's just, it's an interesting time. And I know we're not the only ones. I hear this from like everyone we talk to, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, all- of course. I mean, it's, it's such a hard time. And that self-talk, like that's a part of your daily life as a guide when things are normal too, right? Don't you find like, I mean, you're constantly saying, oh, could I do this better? I didn't quite get that right. I mean, at least that's that was me in the classroom, right? Like yeah. all the time. So to do that then in a new situation where, you know, you were not trained for this, you, we know it isn't ideal for the children. Like it's, that is a big thing. I mean, I'm so glad that you're working to make sure that you're shutting, shutting some of that down because at this point we're still, yeah, we just have to do what we can do. And one of my um, good friends has a saying that I just love, which is good enough is perfect. Like good enough, like if good enough right now is perfect. And that's what you, you know, that I'm confident that's what you guys are doing and what so many of our listeners are doing too. I'm sure it's good enough. Yeah. Um, and therefore it's perfect. It's fine. <laughs> Can I ask you guys something? Yes. And, and, well, <laughs> I don't know what Hamed would say to this, but like, okay, so you're, (laughs) you guys are, um, you know, entrenched in Montessori philosophy and you've been working, you know, for a number of years now, you know, collectively we all have. And I guess like, you know, Rachel and Jamie on your podcast, you guys cover so many topics and, and, um, you know, there's so much richness to the tapestry that is Montessori elementary. And I wonder, like, you know, how, like, how do you guys, do you prioritize kind of your essential values or cores or like, do you kind of follow your own, you know, strengths? I'm sure we all do that. But, um, you know, there's so many things that you could constantly be improving and doing at a higher caliber. Like, is there, I guess, Jamie, as you said, like, (laughs) good enough is perfect. Like, You do do what you can. You know as much about that pegboard as you can. And then you move on to handwork. And like, (laughs) um, I've I've just found it like it's constantly inspiring, right? Because you could always learn more about the world and about children and child development. And um, but for me, I do feel like one of the challenges of our work is like feeling a little bit of a ping pong, like okay, I've got to learn about, you know, working with children with dyslexia and tomorrow or in five minutes, I've got to remember how to present the square root with the, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's so much that runs through our heads, as you said. And I think um, that also plays into like that feeling of exhaustion sometimes for me is like, woo, like at any given moment, we're trying to be like our best at so many different things. And, you know, there's, you know, we're human beings, so I completely I know, know what you mean. I completely understand that because it's it's something that I can't I, I will never work and I really can't see myself working in anything else because um I I feel very confident that working in something that you're so fiercely passionate about is just like the way to live your life. But it also comes with that cost of being so inspired, you're exhausted because you want to just like overdo everything, right? Like exactly what you're saying. Like, well, tomorrow I want to do this, 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 you know, you have a list of like 20 million things that you want to research and then do, and then make that new lesson. And then, you know, it's exhausting. 
but that's also what makes it so exciting. Right. But then at the same time, having that self care and being like, you know what, I only gave two lessons today, or I didn't get to that one thing, or the classroom's a mess, or I mean, whatever, there are so many things. And it's something I have to daily work on in my personal life. And especially in Montessori, I have to let a lot of stuff go. Because I think also as teachers, we're enormous perfectionists you know, because we care about the work so much, you know? Um, And I know what you were saying earlier about the kind of utopian um, view of Montessori. Um, And I was totally there after the training. I was like on cloud nine, like skipping around in like fantasy land, thinking that like all of that was possible. (laughs) And then, and it is, I'm not saying it's not, but, and then I got in the classroom and I just sort of had like a really rude awakening, like, oh, okay. I don't know. So that's it's it's really interesting too when you talk about these really long and wide to do lists that Mm -hmm. are you know encompass so many different things. And you know, Julia, you're talking about how you might feel a little bit frenetic, like up here, you know, you're being bounced around like a ping pong ball, Um, (laughs) or you have so many thoughts in your head, it's just hard to focus on one or or a couple that are really important to you that day. What something I noticed too over the years um, is that if I, if, you know, in my lesson plan that day, if there's just one thing in that lesson plan that I have, um, that I can really focus on and do well, it, the waves of that one presentation kind of will ripple throughout the day. And then also sometimes for days and weeks afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, And I notice that when I am trying to put too much on my plate, um, and, and give too much that the, the quality of, you know, things kind of falls and then it's much less impactful in the classroom. So I almost think, you know, that, you know, more is uh, less is more um, yeah. in some, some instances. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we, we do fall in that trap of trying to do everything all the time really well, but, um, you know, multitasking, I think is often for me anyways, I'll speak for myself is like a fool's errand mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. instead of trying to focus on that one thing. I think you're, I think you're right. And I think too, like the key in this work and the thing that's the, I think a really difficult tension is that we do have to plan, really be prepared and plan and, and, and have a good structure in place that we hold, that we hold very lightly so that we can then be fully present in every moment. And when we're, when we know that sort of the plan is in place and the, you know, the river is going to flow that direction no matter what we do. We're going to end up wherever, you know, wherever we're meant to end up. But that then, you know, rather than try to control that river, let's flow with it and be present in that. That's kind of how we have to approach our our day-to-day work in the classroom, which is hard, I think. Um, even all of us that really, built, you know, buy into the Montessori approach, lo- letting working with that energy that's already going forward instead of trying to control it can sometimes be hard. Right. And that's where we, you know, that's, that's where if we can stay focused in the present, knowing these children are going to learn no matter what we do, we can do what we think is the greatest lesson 
and they maybe will get something, you know, like the learning doesn't necessarily happen because of us anyway. So <laughs> we, it, it, I mean, it, you know, oftentimes happens when you're not there, right? That's a yeah. humbling experience as well. I'm sure you've all had like, oh, I did this great thing and you didn't learn it. And two months later, like you figured it out on your own. Um, <laughs> and so that sort of like staying in that present moment, getting excited about one thing like that, passion and joy. That's often something I really say to teachers when I've been doing coaching is like, what makes you excited? Like, forget about the kids. Let's do something you want to do and get you passionate again. All of those are great like tips to, to refocus that energy. And I think super important right now when everyone's way closer to burnout than, than normal. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny too. I, this is making me think about, um, so at our school we write, um, I guess there's two times a year where each guide is responsible to, you know, make a blog post or something like that for the school's website. And I just wrote mine like last week and it was um, just about all the things that I don't teach um, that end up being taught and learned anyways by the the students. Mm. Um, And so I, you know, this, the last five weeks that we were in school, with the kids, um, we had like half the half. We we're at half capacity, um, but we had them in there. Um, I was reminded of that because of all this time in the spring and in the fall online. I, I kind of you know you don't see the collaboration so much, and you don't you don't see the peer teaching. Um, but in the last five weeks, it's just I've been reminded that oh yeah, all that stuff happens. So um, you know I've had a few children give presentations to you know the rest of the class on things that they kind of enjoyed and and I just thought to myself oh great like it's okay I didn't teach it to everyone but but somehow like three quarters of the class know how to do this and three quarters of the class know how to do that and you know it's allowed me to um, not worry so much not overburden myself so much with um, making sure that I'm covering every single topic that I possibly need to cover you know those kinds of things so that's been um, a lovely reminder to to have you know going back to school. Yeah, I and just to um, carry that one step further too, I can relate. When we did go back in to in-person learning um, these past five weeks, there I I do remember being like there were two uh, students who wanted to write a script together. Um, they were you know taking a, a story that they had written last year and they were kind of revisiting it and they wanted it to be in a different format, so they wanted to write a script. And I remember. Um, kind of feeling like, you know, the head honcho for a little bit, like, okay, let me, you know, we can sit down and go through the revision process together when you're done the, you know, the draft, da, da, da. And I was kind of like, including myself, just because that's, you know, a habit that we have as teachers. And then I had a, a student, a sixth year, um, uh, one of the, you know, the oldest and one of the leaders of the class who was there in person that day. And she was like, oh, you guys want me to help you edit, you know, or help you guys, you know, I can do a peer review or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness that you just reminded me that you guys have each other, you know, like you don't need me to be your editor with the red pen, you know, Um, (laughs) it was so great. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this little sixth year who's reminding me of like our culture, you know, like how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. Anyway, that's a great. Yeah. I mean, that's been like, 
That's so great to hear, Julia, because that's been like my one of my biggest like I'm not worried about the children losing, you know, math progress or reading. I'm not as worried about that, but it's more the sort of that kind of culture of the classroom that I worry they'll be missing by being at home. You know, that collaboration, that independence, that confidence to like step in and do what the adult was planning to do, like all of those kinds of things that I've um you know, that's that that I've been kind of worried could because that's harder to like nurture back than, you know, say some math skills. So I'm like thrilled to hear that story because that means I mean, of course, children are resilient and they remember things and they know I mean, they're going to they're going to emerge from all of this. Mm-hmm. So that's fantastic I, to hear. And I think they are at least what I saw in those five weeks, which I will say it was really taxing to be in a hybrid model. Like I was also coming in like pretty frenetic. <laughs> yeah. The classroom's like cold because we're trying to ventilate every, you know, all the space. And I'm wearing like, you know, long underwear and hats to school, you know, all the <laughs> wow. So I was like not really a happy person during those five weeks, but I I, you know, certainly enjoyed the children. And I knew like they were really hungry for their peer yeah. time and their and those mm-hmm. opportunities and um, I was just like, oh my gosh, wow, that is so great. You're right, like that they're holding on mm-hmm. to that that community culture that's been there, but obviously mm-hmm. hasn't been since yeah. March, you know. And and also it's funny too because um, you can look, you know, your Jamie to your concern about like the is the culture. How can we, you know, are the kids going to forget about the culture of the classroom and how we operate and and those kinds of things as opposed to like math facts and you know specific academic content. You know they. Yeah, another way to look at it is that they have been kind of suppressing a lot, maybe not suppressing them, but they haven't been able to like fully express all of their their tendencies at this age because they have been cooped up with their families and not that they don't at home, but they just have less avenues right. of expression. And so one thing I've kind of noticed is that um, it's it's as if they have kind of pent up all of those um, natural characteristics they have, especially the uh, ones to collaborate and socialize and the things that they're interested, in, they just haven't been able to express them. So when they have come back into the classroom live, it's almost been easier to like cajole them into doing things just by playing on those tendencies because it's like they are just itching to express them. And they're like very <laughs> Oh yeah. So uh, uh, you know, it, it's almost easier to harness some of their energy um and, and redirect and direct it towards, you know, their education and and it's um like they're very willing participants in that, which I've found. That's awesome. Yeah, I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, I know. What I'm, a year. I know. It's just like crazy to think about. It's also like, I just think it's hilarious. Just like you were saying, Hamed, earlier about like Montessori. I mean, one of my favorite things about Montessori is like, there's not a lot of technology. Um, and I, I like technology just fine, but you know been forcing the entire Montessori community to go online. It's just been, it's been interesting, <laughs> but we got wow. through it. We're getting through it. We're doing yeah. it. <laughs> and I know last spring, I mean, there were families in, in my community and particularly the younger communities that were, you know, had their values. Um, <laughs> some of their core family values were like no screen time, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> of right. Course. How do you, you know, how are we going to do this? We, you know, and also like respect your personal boundaries and philosophy at home about, about that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot, it, this, this transition 
really has rocked <laughs> everybody. Oh yeah. Everybody. And, and it's so funny because it, um, it kind of, some of the outcomes I feel like are paralleling, you know, things in society. So, um, I was thinking about how some of my students did last year. So last year I was at a different school than I was this year and had more, I would say like more diverse, um, learning needs at that school. And mm -hmm. what I would, what I noticed was that, so the kids who were further along in their normalization, um, suffered a lot less during the, the distance learning than the kids who, who weren't right. So yeah, I would watch some students who were doing well, um, you know, in their, I guess, in the building of themselves, like who are really coming far along and, uh, you know, become more independent and, and they were coming up with great projects to do at home. You know, we'd brainstorm together and come up with things. They were able to do many things independently with little minimal parent, parental support and, and just get a lot of, um, you know, they just educated themselves very well. But then there were the other students who, um, you know, maybe weren't as far along and needed a lot more support and a lot more structure and handholding and, and guidance. Um, and that maybe they necessarily didn't necessarily have that um, at home and they just kind of languished. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, kind of in the way that the pandemic has really exacerbated inequities in society, you kind of also saw it um, in the schools as well. But, you know, it was nice to see the kids, you know, and many of the kids did great. Um, you know, it was nice to see that this Montessori education that we've been delivering, um, you know, for the kids who are, are, are coming along, it's really something they're able to impl implement in their life at home, um, in their own education with success. Um, so it just gives you a lot of confidence yeah. that it, it really is setting them up for success in a lot of ways. And even, even now during these trying times, you're even seeing it, um, even if it's not for everybody, um, not everyone's being, having the same amount of success, but many people are, and, and you can really see the philosophy at work. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that has stretched us to really think truly what is Montessori right now? Like, yeah, the materials in the classroom are great, but they aren't that complete essence, right? Like this, you know, the kids can, it's these principles, it's this confidence, uh, it's the knowing themselves as learners and, and being able to apply that in all sorts of um, environments, even when they're away from, you know, the checkerboard and the mm -hmm. grammar boxes or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's great to hear you're seeing that in the children as well. Um, they're going to, they will, I mean, I've told a lot of parents, like actually the children are just going to sort of vaguely um, remember this year or think of it in some, you know, whereas we're all going to feel the sort of <laughs> impact of it far longer I think, yeah. than they are. It's going to be sort of a, 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 a a memory with some, you know, a kind of vague memory ultimately for, for them in a way that it, um, I think for all of us, it's, it's going to be not so vague for a while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're all going to feel it a lot more strongly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, what a, what a year. Well, what I mean, separate from all of this, I mean, you guys are still committed and excited about this work. Like, what um, what do you love about it? Even you know, beyond beyond the COVID uh, adaptations you've had to make, but just this work in general. Like, what um, what's your favorite thing? What drives you? 
uh, to keep at it even because we know a lot of teachers struggle to get past those first five years because they're so hard. But you guys are both well past that. And, and what what keeps you going? Why do you why do you keep doing it? Well, for me, I think there's a huge difference between my first year in the classroom and this is now my seventh. And I, mm-hmm. you know, between virtual and hybrid and in-person and what whatever else you can come up with, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's no small thing. That, that first year was such a challenge and super eye-opening and required a lot of um, just focus and, and compassion, um, self-compassion and, and all of that. And I was leaning on the, the community, you know. I think one of the biggest things for me as a teacher, like having mentorship and support has been so important in Montessori. Um, and I'm sure in, you know, in every field, but this one in particular, like I just, I really needed to bounce ideas off people. I really needed to understand like if what I was seeing and doing was okay or was normal, um, in the classroom. So what keeps me going these days is relationships. Um, and, I honestly think I, I think what Montessori does so well, I've been reading a lot about emotional intelligence. Uh, and I just love the way that we see the children as humans mm-hmm. at, at a particular time of their development and that we can really be attuned to their developmental needs and not be super reactive or defensive or punitive or, you know, all of these things that Um, A lot of educators, you know, it's a different tool set that we, I guess, came out of our training with. And I just am like, I'm so glad that I I know it and that I have it. And I, I feel like when I walk into a room with children, you know, typically I just, um, you know, just knowing how to talk to them and relate to them and see them as people has been really profoundly beautiful and because and you you know you're doing the right thing in the way that they respond back and and they tr- mm-hmm. you know, show their trust and their excitement and their openness to the world and their curiosity about the world and um, so I think for me that's been such a key has been um, not knowing a lot about emotional intelligence until more you know recently because that's a current interest of mine um, but knowing that when we got that training and we we kind of saw the modeling of classroom teachers who we observed or our trainers and how they were delivering, you know, the lesson content and our albums, um, just, you know, knowing that that was just such a good, important start. Um, and if you can start from that place of compassion and respect for developmental needs and things like that, then you're already kind of ahead of the game in a, in a sense. Um, and the outcome is really beautiful and profound. Mm, yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I, I do it for the money guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, I did a lot of research. In Don't we all? And I, I, I know that after just a few years, you know, monetary millions are on the way. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, no, I, for, it's funny. um, that you asked this question because yesterday I was talking to someone about this. Um, and I think for me, the, the real big motivator, um, has kind of remained constant. And it was like during my second year of training, I I did the three summer program. So, um, during my second summer, 
I really started to see um, all of the the ways in in which Montessori just really talks about interconnectedness uh, and how it goes from like the universe all the way down. Um, and that, you know, just that web of life and energy and how everybody's a part of it and everyone has a role to play and not just every person, but every, you know, thing in our universe has a role to play. And I am not personally a religious person, but my philosophy on, on life and existence is kind of that, um, uh, that interconnectedness. And, and when I, the, the more I listened and learned during training and I saw how the curriculum was a microcosm of that idea, it, it really uh, kind of lit me up. I thought that was beautiful. Um, and I, I, the way that it aligned with how I kind of felt about the world uh, worked for me. Um, and so that, that really in, keeps me motivated, you know, especially, I mean, you know, we live in a world where we need more than anything. We need collaboration and, um, you know, we need people yeah. to like start thinking about the greater good, and and that doesn't really happen very much in our world. It feels like we're we're at a at a crucial time where if that doesn't start to happen yesterday, we're in trouble. So, you know, this idea of um everybody being a part of a community, no one being above it, um, everybody contributing to it, everyone having a role, um, and to be able to exist harmoniously with those around you and, and the world um, is just so important. And I, I love that Montessori centers that. I love that that is the, I think, as far as I can tell, like the, maybe, maybe one of the top um, goals of Montessori education. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, the hope that one day there will be peace and without this type of an education, without framing the world and, you know, young people's minds, you know, that way, I think that peace will be difficult to reach. So I like the idea of being able to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I love that as much as there's a lot of beautiful things in the day to day minutiae of the work, which I think is um, hard. And, you know, you're always developing your practice. And sometimes you're good, sometimes you're not, sometimes you're excited, sometimes you're not. Um, <laughs> that, that goal, that, that big vision is what I think is the most inspiring thing. I love that. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. I mean, that's the, the sort of, and the optimism inherent in this work and the sort of hope for that future. And yeah, I agree. Like right now, especially I can see how much this approach is needed mm -hmm. um, moving forward. Yeah. You guys, this has been amazing to talk. I feel like we could just talk forever. We need a, we're going to have you back we, on. I've already decided <laughs> when we, someday when we, when we can all get together in, in person, oh, yeah. uh, we can keep talking again, too. It's yeah. Someday. Someday soon. Maybe a summer break. <laughs> right. We, right. We, were like, we right. can't talk to you until we are on winter break when we're not totally fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, I told, before we went on live, I told, uh, or Hamed told Rachel, I don't know how this happened, but. I got all dressed up for this. <laughs> I got all dressed up for our interview thinking it was a video, you know? And I'm like, you know, Julia, it's not a video. It's going to be a pod, you know, the, a recording. You know? And I was like, well, you know, I just want to, you know, feel good. You look great. No. <laughs> what you can do, though, I'm serious. You can take a little selfie of you with your computer and then we'll put that on the pod, on the Instagram. It'd be cute. Yeah, we'll be on the Thanks. Wow. Ha <laughs> ha.
know. Thank you guys so much. This has been a real uplifting conversation. 